Welcome to Harbor for the Arts podcast, where the performing and creative arts meets lifestyle. I am your host, opera singer Bree Cooper. The mission of my podcast is to enhance, inspire, educate, entertain all listeners about the performing and creative arts, highlighting specific and unique issues that directly impact our community. I hope that the conversations I have with today's trailblazers in the performing and creative arts space inspire you to do more with the platform that you have. That being said, Harbor for the Arts has partnered with Thrive Market, where we are on a mission to make healthy living accessible and affordable for everyone, especially those of us in the performing and creative arts community. Thrive is an online marketplace that offers all non-GMO, organic, gluten-free, and vegan foods and healthy products you love at 25 to 50% below retail price and all shipped right to your front door. For every paid membership Thrive receives, they provide a free membership to a low-income family, a teacher, or a veteran. Choose a free gift right now by going to the website up to $24 value when you purchase a Thrive Market membership, either one year or monthly membership. So that being said, today's guest is Hannah Nachman, and she is a choral conductor, a vocalist, an educator based in New York City, a lifelong musician and arts advocate. Hannah has performed on many prestigious stages, including Alice Tully Hall, David Geffen Hall, Lincoln Center, the Kennedy Center, and Carnegie Hall. Hannah currently serves as conductor fellow to the Choral Society at Grace Church in New York, and has previously served as director of the Primo Coro Ensemble of New Jersey Youth Chorus, as well as the assistant conductor to the National Children's Chorus. In addition to her vocal performance, her musical training includes harp, piano, and violin, which she teaches in her private music studio in New York City, along with conducting music, conducting and musicianship. Hannah holds advanced music degrees from Bryn Mawr College and the Manhattan School of Music with continued studies at the Juilliard School. Hannah specializes in pedagogical work focusing on music and the brain. Her research studying the positive effects of music on human behavior enables her to provide students with a musical toolkit which will better approach all aspects of their lives. Thank you so much for joining us, Hannah. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. I was so excited to talk to you, like I told you before. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to have this conversation. As the coronavirus has taken center stage since February 2020, it's completely disrupted the lives of millions of Americans, including and especially performing artists and our community in general. How has the pandemic affected your life as a performing artist? As you said, it's affected all people of all walks of life, but man, has it hit our industry hard. <laughs> For me personally, it caused some shifts in the work that I do. Mm -hmm. A lot of what I do as a conductor and a vocalist is live with other humans, cooperative music making. And we can't do that. We can't be in a room together making aerosols in close mm -hmm. quarters. And so we've had to really adapt um, and find new ways of keeping those communities going, keeping the music going. In response to your question, I always have kind of two sides to it that go through my brain. The first instance is, oh my goodness, we didn't ask for this. <laughs> but I, the more I work with different organizations, the more I think this could 
be a positive thing mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. because it's really forced so many organizations. I can only speak to the ones I, I work with, and for, but to look inward and to fix things that needed fixing, making sure that the organization is representative, making sure that our programming is representative, making sure that we're not just doing things the old way by the book. I work in classical music, you work in classical music, and it's very dated and it's dying. Yeah. So it's our job to reinvigorate it, to make access to it, to keep it accessible in a way that people who might not otherwise be introduced to it have access to it. It's true. I think that's one of the missions. I realized that a lot of people that were reaching out to me were people that were not only in the performing arts space, but they were also in the creative arts space. So right. I had a lot of authors and visual artists reach out to me. People underestimate how we contribute and how hard we train. We almost train like athletes. Absolutely. So and we have to dedicate ourselves like that. But that was one of the reasons why I thought it was so important that I renamed the podcast Harbor for the Arts because I want it to be very inclusive. I wanted a space where all performing and creative arts come up with new solutions as well as sharing unique situations that we can help each other out with. The more that we talk about what everyone is doing and how they're contributing to the success of where they are right now, I think it'll help so many other people who are in the same situation, especially when it comes to performing artists. Absolutely. 62% performing and creative artists have become fully unemployed since the pandemic. Nationally, our sector is expected to lose over $50 billion in income in 2020. 94% of performing and creative artists have already reported a loss of income. 79% experienced a decrease in creative work that used to generate income. 66% of us are unable to access supplies, resources, rehearsal space, and other collaborators who are essential to how we create as performing or creative artists. Performing artists are usually still using their gifts to uplift people, to lighten the mood, to encourage people, to spur people on, even though we've been one of the hardest hit demographics. So what are some of the ways that you are using your actual musicianship right now? I know you're getting really creative with how you're performing and how you're working. What are some of the ways that you are actually using your gift to make things a little better, make it a little lighter, really reach out to people and engage them so that they feel a little bit better about where they are. I think you hit the nail on the head just now in saying that we are one of the hardest hit and we are the bomb for people. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. You're in that thing, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've seen, there was a meme that it's been persistent throughout this whole pandemic that's like, all the things you've been doing in the pandemic, watching Netflix, listening to music, like all of that was created by artists. I had long talks with my colleagues where they said, it's not you. Mm -hmm. This is what's happening to the world right yeah. now. I do a lot of freelance work. I do some digital media marketing for some arts organizations in and around the city. So doing a lot of their like social media presence, marketing and that kind of thing, which is a fun little outlet because I used to work in marketing. I do a lot of teaching, private lessons. That has really kept me going. That's honestly. great. Yeah. I, I was very fearful at the beginning. Teaching just keeps me going. And so the fact that so many of my students are willing to say, yep, we'll try the virtual thing and see what <laughs> happens. They have to really use their ear, which mm -hmm. has been 
great. So I've been teaching, I've been doing the digital media marketing. I've, I have been working with Choral Society and also my church choir separate from that, in that we're creating lots of curated content in a way. We'll meet with a clinician and pre-film it mm-hmm. and then put together some music clips. So for Choral Society, for instance, we're using our own clips from the past to kind of pull Mm -hmm. And our artistic director is lecturing. We'll have the group come to rehearsal. (laughs) I put that in air quotes. (laughs) Um, We'll do a little social time. We're still learning about music time and then a little, you know, talk back and social time. So it's just been interesting finding different ways. I also work with another group, Cantori, Mm -hmm. uh, where they were like, we don't want to do so much of that digital. We want to be together. So we're doing a lot more socially distanced small group outdoor things oh nice so it's, it's just interesting seeing how no two groups reacted the same yeah so music is a bomb for the soul if i ask you what are the 1920s known for what would you say oh, the roaring 20s charleston exactly live music mm-hmm. and that was right after the 1918 pandemic right One, right after being cooped up people just craved music they craved the five friendship after isolation and so I love that compared I hope that happens I feel like we're definitely (laughs) headed towards a renaissance and you touched on a little bit earlier and I'm going to ask you a few questions about it a little bit later can you tell us about some of the work you do as an advocate sure I like to think that just in my day-to-day teaching I put some of that in Mm -hmm. um so making sure that on the most basic level, you know, I'll have people approach me and they'll say, do you think I can even do lessons? Or do you think my kid is good enough for lessons? And I hate, (laughs) I hate that mindset. That's just a crazy question. Like I would just, it's terrible. I know why they're asking. I think anyone and everyone should. Should. Yeah. Because it's a life skill. Don't you think of it? I mean, that's your advocacy right there. Being such a wonderful educator, as well as reminding people that when you take a lesson, it's such a life skill that the child learns and you, they don't even know what they discover as they continue to work with you. My demo with my students is I'm, I'm always saying, how does this apply to the rest of your life? Yeah. And my kids have come to expect that from me. Mm-hmm. Or if I have a kid that says, I don't want to do this for X and Y reasons. It's like, well, let's compare this to this other thing that you would do in your everyday life. Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. just like, oh, I think that sort of old regime of you will learn this way. You will do the music. You will succeed at the music. Right. It's kind of out. It's, it's much more like there's been so much research that has stated that music gives you all these other resources for the rest of your life, even if they're not quote, quote, musical, but it'll teach you like empathy, discipline, problem solving. I mean, it literally, the list is endless. I know we mentioned earlier, you kind of give them a toolkit. Mm -hmm. Is, is that more in the literal toolkit or is it kind of figurative when you apply that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, figurative, just, I mean, kind of continuing that same train of thought, because it answers this question as well. Pedagogy has changed drastically recently mm-hmm. uh, and by recently I mean over this last generation I, I had teachers when I was younger it was very much like regimented mm-hmm. and I, I still have routine for my kids no two brains are the same and so like what works for one student won't work for another I'll try one tactic and if that's not working 
I'm not going to just keep beating it into them mm -hmm. and shut them down to music and shut them down to learning and shut them down to expressing, which is what we're trying to get at. I will change tactics and musically change what I'm doing, but also just in how I engage with them. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, it's going to be very personalized. It's not going to be my way or the highway. Mm -hmm. You talked about a little bit earlier, we're in the midst of an awakening in our society when it comes to race relations and equity in the arts. On average, American orchestras are made up of 63% men, 37% women. And when it comes to conductors, which is something that is also your forte, uh, no pun intended, when it comes to conductors, 91% are men and only 9% of women make up the role of conductor in an orchestra in the United States. You're on your way to literally shattering glass ceilings with what you do, not only as a performing artist, but definitely as a conductor. How do you encourage other young women that might want to go to conducting? How do you encourage other women to go into that specific type of work? Where you've cracked open a very big can of worms. <laughs> Yeah, 15 seconds. <laughs> I have I have too many, too many feelings on this topic. It's actively terrible what the disparity is between men and women in this field is right now. Um, and truth be told, I grew up in this wonderful world where all of my conductors and directors were women, and I thought they were the majority. I had fantastic mentors growing up. Mm -hmm. I went to a women's college for my undergrad mm -hmm. and there were men folk directors, but I was still surrounded by feminism. <laughs> and then I got to grad school. <laughs> wow. uh, that's when I learned in conservatory that women are not in this field. I mean, they are, but it, it's so few and far between. And not only that, but we are fighting that glass ceiling. Yeah. I mean, just like fighting it. Women conductors are treated differently. It sounds cliche, but because it's been so the norm that it's a man up there and typically a white man. Mm -hmm. When I've been up on the podium, I've been treated differently and I've gotten feedback from my ensembles that I'd have done something exactly the same or better and I would have gotten negative feedback and the men would not, which is just not a good thing. But you mentioned mentoring the next generation and I love that. I, I want to do way more of that. I would love to eventually create some kind of like formal program uh, like that. I mean, there's there are some women conductor institutes now and they're mm -hmm. fantastic. Dr. Alicia Walker of University of South Carolina runs a wonderful one that I attended. There are a bunch of others and we need them. You know, there's, there's a lot of women who don't know they can pursue this just because yeah. it's not the image they see. Frankly, while I want to mentor young girls and women, I don't know if they're the ones that need the education on this right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what we're finding in a lot of different areas when we talk about equity in the arts. It's the conversation that you have to have across the board is the conversation that you have to have with people that don't even realize that they're either being offensive or that they're treating someone else differently. They don't even realize it, you know, and those are, that's the importance of these 
conversation. It's not about tick boxes either. I feel like a lot of organizations are like, oh, well, we programmed this one piece by a PIPOC yeah. composer, or, or we we brought on this one female to our board. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's not how the conversation should go. It should be ongoing. It should be not what you think should be happening, but asking those underrepresented groups what should be happening. It should be programming. It should yeah. be what the group is made up of. It should be, you know, the whole... And it's ongoing. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of organizations, I'm lucky that my organizations are very willing to learn. Yeah. Very willing to adapt. But I know of others that just do it for ch checking off the tick box and saying, okay, we participated, we did the thing. Yeah. And that doesn't solve a deeply rooted problem right. of inequity. And it's right. not about equality. Like you say, it's, it's equity. And this is a conversation, I think, like you were saying earlier, we're just going to have to keep unpacking and we're going to have to keep talking about it takes all of us to really speak up in these situations we can't just assume okay well I've got my job and I'm just going to stick with it I'm not going to say anything when we're in negotiations we can say who's the conductor we can we can do a ton of things to help people start thinking in a different way you know sometimes people just don't think about it and it's important that in every situation enlighten people how can people find out more about you your websites your social media so my instagram my artist instagram is maestra underscore hannah m-a-e-s-t-r-a -E underscore h-a-n-n-a-h please feel free to shoot me a, a dm i would love to collaborate or shoot me an email hznmusicstudio at gmail.com so thank you again for joining us today i really appreciate it and for all my listeners out there i want to remind you to check out thrive market you can go to thrivemarket.com slash Brie Cooper. You will uh, be able to get a free gift for up to $24 value. And you can follow Harbor for the Arts on Facebook and Instagram. My website is briecooper.net. And don't forget to listen to me on Spotify, Verified Artist page, Brie Cooper Mezzo Soprano. Um, and I'm going to leave you guys with this one quote for this week. Music can name the unnameable and communicate the unknowable. And that's by... Leonard Bernstein. So I thought that would be perfect um, for today. Uh, so thank you everyone for listening and I hope you have a really great week. Thank you.